0: Okay, we are going to get started uh, with the parables of Christ. Emilio left off. We've been in the the kingdom of God has been just a a recent theme. Everything has been about the kingdom of God. Even what Emilio has been teaching last week, the last couple of weeks, I didn't want to end because it was so good, just about the kingdom. And we're going to take a small break here for about six weeks and go through Matthew 13 and uh, really uh, read and teach about the parables, learn about the parables, and what they mean for us. So uh, today is going to be kind of an introduction. We're going to get through, we're going to talk about agriculture today. Who's excited? (laughs) The first part of the parable is literally all about agriculture. It's interesting, because Jesus told him the parables, and he says that... uh, to you, speaking to his disciples, to you it has been granted the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them, those who are outside, it has not been granted to them to know the mysteries. So what did Jesus give, give the multitudes? He gave them uh, a story on agriculture. He told them a story about seeds. He did not give them an explanation. Isn't that interesting? He did not give the multitudes an explanation of the parables. He never did. Uh, because the mysteries were not granted to them to know. They were not the privileged Citizens of the kingdom who had the right to know these secrets, these mysteries. And um, by the way, the word "mysteries" is not is not in the Greek. It's not to what in, in English we would call mysteries as something mysterious. You know, like in English, it's more like secrets, something being kept, right? Something being hidden to be revealed, not necessarily something mysterious. Okay. So uh, during Jesus's earthly teaching ministry, he was actively engaged, right? Uh, in an extensive teaching ministry, right? Throughout his, uh, his teaching uh, engagements, he routinely used different methods of teaching. We call these teaching techniques, literary devices, um, one of them being overstatement, right? If your eye causes you to sin, what? Pluck it out, right? Overstatement, right? He's, he is overemphasizing or exaggerating, right? The seriousness and the necessity of plucking off, defending member of your flesh, plucking it off so that you might enter the kingdom. The seriousness of plucking it off and the necessity to enter the kingdom is what you see. Uh, something similar to overstatement is like hyperbole, where Jesus speaks about the difficulty of something. But uh, Overstatement and hyperbole are very difficult. Uh, very similar. Uh, people would say the only difference between the two is a matter of possibility. Overstatement. It's possible if your hand causes you to sin, you could really pluck it off. You could really, you could really cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, you could really <coughs> gouge it out. Some people would make a difference between that and hyperbole. Hyperbole would be it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see that? It's impossible is what he's saying. It doesn't have, it doesn't, it's not a possibility, right? This, he's speaking about the difficulty, the difficulty, uh, mm-hmm. the difficulty of a rich man entering the kingdom. What's easier? Jesus said a camel going through an eye of a needle is easier <clears throat> than for a rich man to be saved. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what did that provoke? What did that provoke inside his, his disciples? Lord, who can, who can be saved? Right? That's exactly the question he wanted to stir up within them. Lord, then who can be saved? And do you remember his answer? With God all that, that's right. He says, with man, this is what? It's impossible. it's impossible. That's the point, right? That's the point of hyperbole. With man, it is impossible. Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What, but with God, this is, in fact, possible. You have things like metaphors. Jesus spoke in metaphors. He spoke in proverb. He spoke in questions, and he often answered with counter-questions. People would ask him a question, he would counter that question with another question. Um, And then Jesus spoke in parables. But Jesus didn't always speak in parables, right? We just reviewed some of the literary devices, the teaching techniques that Jesus had used. About one-third of what is recorded in Jesus' three-year teaching ministry is made up of parables. About one-third of it. Uh, there are about 40 parables in the Bible, depending on how you count the parable. Some some would count other stories, you know. Some would count, like, you know, J- Jesus when he says that I am the good shepherd. And um, those different stories about him being the vine. Some would count those as being parables. Um, uh, so there's different ways that people use to measure whether or not something is considered a parable. It's anywhere between 40 and, like, 60 if you use, if, you, if you include other illustrations that Jesus made. Uh, let's see here. And there are parables about the kingdom, right? So what do the parables consist of? We could say uh, one book that I was reading, he kind of he kind of divided the different parables into topics like this. There are parables of the kingdom, one being the story of the sower, which is one we're going to try to get through today in some to some extent. The other being the uh, parables of salvation, the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Uh, justification by faith. Uh, there's going to be parables about wisdom and folly, right? The story of the ten virgins. There are, there are parables of the Christian life, like the Good Samaritan, which speak about what what, what is does what is grace truly produce in a believer? Uh, what, what will that fruit look like? or How to love your neighbor, right? And uh, there are parables about judgment, such as the rich man and Lazarus. So, Let's read, uh, turn in Matthew 13. Go to Matthew 13. That is going to be the chapter of our study for the next about six weeks. Matthew 13, and I'm going to read for you the parable as the multitudes received it. The parable as the multitudes received it. Actually, uh, let's see here. Um, Kato, we uh, read that parable from, uh, just read from verses 1 through 9. Yes.
1: It says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Hmm. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear
0: Amen, Amen. Thank you, brother. Isn't that interesting? So, what would you don't have to answer this? What would some of your thoughts be after receiving a, a parable like that? That's all you got. Something about soil, right? It was definitely meant to provoke some thoughts inside of people, right? Uh, because you did not, you, you were not given uh, the truth that uh, was sowed in and among this parable, like the disciples were. Right, um, that was secret, or uh, that was that, those were the mysteries of the kingdom. That was only given to insiders, we could say. Uh, but let me ask you this: What is a parable? Uh, let's we'll, we'll, we'll kind of we'll try to define. We'll try to define a parable. What would you say? What is a parable? A story that teaches a lesson. Mm, yeah, yeah. Anything else?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's good. I think uh, we could say a parable is a word picture. Right? Jesus used word pictures a lot. Uh, you see them being expressed in a simile or a metaphor, and they teach something that is true, right, these parables. They teach something that is true. Uh, it's a spiritual truth dispensed through analogy, as uh, is, is we could call a parable. Some are shorter, some are longer. The word for parable is parabole. Parabole, and um, this word, kind of breaking it down, I'm going to transliterate it for us. This word, this word para here, uh, make sure I have this right. Okay, this word here para, para means beside, right? And then there's another word. I'm sorry if you cannot see that. I have to write too small. Um, this word here is going to mean. To throw or cast. That word. parable, Parabale. Beside and to throw and cast. Literally put together is to throw alongside. Right? To throw alongside, to place alongside. So I think a, a good definition of a parable would be something like Jesus would lay or place spiritual truth alongside everyday personal experiences. Something like that. He would lay spiritual truth alongside everyday personal experiences in stories, right? In stories. Um, let's see here. And the, the the parables, they were true to life. They were realistic stories that he was telling them. They were relative to the people's lives. They could understand them, right? Right? And so they were literary devices, vehicles used to make comparisons. He would make a comparison between a real life situation and spiritual truth in order to communicate crucial or salvific uh, lessons. Salvific lessons is what Jesus would teach through parable, through storytelling, right? Through, through storytelling. My question is do parables fall under the genre of, of historical narrative? A tough one right
1: say
0: no. no that's that's right that's right they do not they are not pers- they are not a uh, historical narrative there's a big difference between a made-up story which is what the parables are they are made-up stories they're and they're used to uh explain points principles right salvific lessons there's a big difference between that and historical narrative which people use in order to recount. Uh, actual events that took place in space and time right so there's a big difference between those and so though they are recounting right uh, um, though they though they are not sorry recounting um, uh, information or stories like historical narratives they are realistic stories right they still engaged the audience they were appealing they attracted the masses uh, they drew others in to hear stories, right? Uh, they even it says in, in, in Mark twelve thirty seven that they gathered gathered together to hear Jesus gladly. They gladly drew near to Christ and listened to him. He was the greatest storyteller who ever lived. Um, and you also notice you'll notice the phrase kingdom of heaven as well. Um, as he goes into, uh, when you're going, to, you're going into all these different parables, you'll notice he's going to say, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And uh, this, is, this is used, he mentions the kingdom of heaven multiple times. And I think Emilio mentioned this, there's no real difference between the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. That's my take. Others disagree with that. Um, uh, maybe a dispensational view would really make a difference between kingdom of heaven kingdom of God uh, as speaking about two different peoples right? Um, um, But I think that this is uh, rather simple. I think a Jew speaking to another Jew may avoid using the word God out of reverence, out of reverence. Instead, they would use a word like heaven, right? In order to describe God's sphere of, of reigning, right? His sphere of his domain, they would use a word like Heaven, and I think that that's because of a Jewish linguistic tradition, like a Semitic idiom that they would use. You actually have something like that in the in the prodigal, uh, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke. Uh, let's see, Luke 15, 18. He was resolved in Luke 15, 18. He says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, what does it say? Father, I have sinned against what? <laughs> against heaven. You see that, That's, this, this, is, this is a Semitic idiom or you could say a Jewish linguistic language, uh, uh, a tradition that uh, in order to kind of uh, preserve uh, reverence, uh, usually they would switch uh, things like heaven and the kingdom and things like that for God. Um, Matthew, with respect to a few places, he primarily uses the kingdom of heaven. His audience is mainly Jewish. Um, Both of these terms, they speak of the same reality of God who's in heaven, who will one day split the sky, descend in majestic holiness, and reign as supreme sovereign at the consummation of the ages. Uh, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the kingdom is, if you could summarize it, if I could summarize it, I would say the gospel of the kingdom of God is heaven breaking into this earthly dimension through Jesus Christ, to establish his reign, to accomplish reconciliation, render judgment, and consummate redemption. And consummate redemption. And so the parable. Anybody anybody have any questions? Just listening. You guys are quiet. The parables are all about the kingdom, the gospel. They're all about salvation. The more you know about the kingdom... The gospel and salvation, the more you will understand the parables. The more you will understand the parables. Uh, and in, in some real sense, we stand at a real advantage to the first century followers of Christ. Do you know why? We have a finished canon, don't we? We get to read the, we get to repair, we get to read the parables in light of a finished canon. It's incredible. Is what we have. We have a lot of light, a lot of light. The parables are all God-centered. They're all Christ-centered. They show us something about grace as well as something about our responsibility in the presence of that grace. They tell us something about the king of grace as well as something about the fruit of grace. And they tell us something about the condemnation of not receiving grace as well as the eternal blessing of embracing, believing, and treasuring that grace. Treasuring that grace. So uh, going back to Matthew 13, let's go back to our text. We will see how much we're able to get through with some of this. We are not going to be able, it looks like we are not going to be able to go through, um, we'll, we'll try to finish just the first section of this today if we can and then next week lord willing we will finish uh, we'll go into the explanation of it and apply that to uh to our lives looking at the purposes of parables i want to talk about that next the purposes of parables what might the purpose of a parable be what do you think why do you think jesus would speak in parables what's so significant about parables why were they used
1: I uh, think it's to help people, you know, man, to grasp a uh, concept, right? That's trying to be expressed. That's just, you know, you can't really use, I guess, uh, you, you just, again, just yeah, trying to understand a concept.
0: Okay, okay. I would say that's right, in part. In part. But it's, it's definitely half the answer. I think that's good. I, there's actually a lot of answers, but that's that's definitely part of it. Anything else?
1: You have to uh, hide, hide things. Mm. Uh, you have to communicate truths in a way we can understand, but also to hide.
0: Um, to hide information.
1: Hide. Yeah, Jesus says that. Um, that's the reason why he gets spoken terrible. Yeah. You know, so that someone understands.
0: Yeah, that's good. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> You know, some people have taken what Jesus what Jesus teaches and um, and and uh, this 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 aspect of his ministry of him being uh, a storyteller, him telling parables. They would take this and say, "This is the reason why we should we should start telling stories in the pulpit just just because just because of this right here." They said, "See, Jesus was a storyteller. We need to be telling stories as well." But there's just one issue with that. Jesus did not tell Jesus did not primarily tell parables. Uh, for, for the purpose of helping understanding. He mainly told parables for the purpose of hiding understanding. Either they helped understanding for some, those who had ears to hear, it helped understanding. It was a vehicle to which they, the, the, the mysteries of the kingdom could be, uh, 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 could be instrumental right, to their understanding, where God would reveal and, and illumine their minds to understand salvific truth, but to some people, it was only for their condemnation. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. Um, you know, you even have Jesus, even in, in not regard to parables, but even just revelation. He says, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the, from the intelligent and the wise. Right? But you have revealed them to babes. And so, uh, even in the ministry of Christ, uh, you see these things kind of, you see these things going on. But you, we have the answer here in, in Matthew thirteen ten. And I want to go ahead and read that for you. Matthew thirteen ten. It says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? That's interesting, right? Um, that could mean that why do you speak to them in parables, right? Because maybe they're ignorant. They're not going to understand what you're saying through the, the way that you're speaking. Or this is probably what I think a new part of Jesus' ministry He opened up in parables really in the middle of his teaching ministry. And we're going to get into that. Uh, We're going to get into that a little bit more. Um, And he says, And he answered and said to them, This is what we're talking about. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has, and Mark and Luke add even what he thinks he has. It's not even something he truly possesses, something he truly possesses. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I, therefore I speak to them in parables. Because I, he says, he says, Because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And you see, this is the judgment aspect of the parable. Why do I speak to them in parables? And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing but not but will not understand, you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears and they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest, right, in order that they should not see with their eyes, in order that they should not hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn again, and I should heal them. Isn't that incredible? But going to verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Right, Knowledge of the kingdom, it must be granted to you by a sovereign and gracious work of God. The mysteries are only revealed to the elect. To you it has been granted. It says something about election there. It shows something about privileged citizens of the kingdom of God. Only those who are on the inside have the privilege, have the knowledge, the access into these mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom. Right, And the parables, as we were just saying, they have a double effect. By teaching parables to the multitudes, the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom, they remain veiled, you see. They remain veiled to those who are outside the kingdom. Right, Jesus probably practicing something like Matthew 7, 6, even in this passage, uh, which says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet. Isn't that incredible? Uh, but to those on the inside, on the other hand, those on the inside, the, uh, by teaching in parables, the Holy Spirit unveiled the mysteries by giving them spiritual ears to hear, right? By illuminating their minds. And the objective of the parables, it was to effect change and bring heroes to repentance, uh, to create kingdom citizens. In verse 12, Right, Some things were granted to some, right? The mysteries were granted to some, but the mysteries were not granted to others. Some received spiritual knowledge. Others received nothing. And so we read in verse 12, For whoever has to him shall more be given. And I think that means light, salvific light, wisdom, knowledge, secrets, understanding. To him, uh, for whoever has to him shall more be given uh, this is following verse 11, and he shall have an abundance, right? His treasury will, 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 will be piled on and piled on through the ministry of Christ in salvation um, by reading about Christ and, and pursuing him and, and learning at his feet. And then it says, but whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him shall be taken away from him. There, uh, R.T. France, or, uh, he, he wrote a commentary on Matthew. He says, once you have started on the road to spiritual enlightenment, meaning uh, on the road to spiritual understanding, the blessings multiply, but those who do not accept the message of the kingdom will lose everything. They will lose everything. And so Jesus did, and we'll go into this, you know, in, in the last chapter, even in chapter 12, You know Jesus is, and this is this is on the same day as as he's teaching in the parables of parables of the kingdom. On the same day um, that he is that he uh, that he is teaching these parables, he is also uh, uh, the the Holy Spirit is also blasphemed on the same day. And this follows that Jesus began on this day as a form primarily of judgment. He began to teach and messages that they couldn't understand. They were so hard-hearted. They were so willfully unbelieving. They weren't going to accept his message. They were going to mock him. Uh, you see that he, he, he says, that this man casts out demons uh, by, only by, Be- by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, the prince of demons. He casts out demons, demons by Satan, by the powers of hell. Jesus casts out demons. And Jesus said, basically, he says, you have committed a sin that is unforgivable. You are damned forever speaking to these Pharisees who had just blasphemed the Holy Spirit, an unforgivable sin. And so we, so we read here that Jesus' ministry was going to be taking a turn. His, his, even even, his, even his, uh, his disciples even asked him, why, are you, why do you speak to them in parables? Almost as if this was a new thing in his teaching ministry. And he goes down and he says, The mysteries... You know, he used to speak in a different way. You know, he used to speak in just plain propositional truth, right? The Sermon on the Mount, right? That just happened in Matthew 5 through 7. He was speaking very clearly. He was helping them understand uh, kingdom ethics, the nature of the kingdom. Uh, You know, he was helping them understand the value of the word of God. All these things until the, the religious leaders of his day... Had conspired to kill him, to destroy him. That's what it says back in, even in, uh, even in chapter twelve. On the Sabbath, they were just, they 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 were almost fed up with Jesus, right? Uh, and he is at, at the beginning of his ministry. He was teaching more in synagogues. At the end of his ministry, he was teaching by the sea. Even here, he's teaching on the sea, right? Teaching on the sea uh, with with except to, with exception to a couple of places. Not altogether kicked out of synagogues, but. Uh, people were more and more becoming more unwilling to hear him. And this was a judgment upon them, that teaching, understanding, even as we see in verse 12, whoever does not have even what he thinks he has, right? Even what he has, right? He has access, he's had access this whole time to spiritual truth, understanding, right, the, uh, these, these secrets of the kingdom, uh, information about... Uh, the kingdom of God, the things which are pleasing to God, he was telling them about judgment and, and telling them very openly and not explaining things to them in a hidden way. But that all has changed. He's taken that away from them, this this ability to understand. But whoever does not have, whoever does not have spiritual understanding now is not going to get it, with the exception of those who God is going to call and save. Right? But primarily uh, this the form of teaching that Jesus was going to give them and it goes on and says and he, he did not speak to them without a parable right And this was towards part of the the half maybe like a one and a half to the, uh, to the uh, moving on to this uh, the, the, the two year mark uh, going into almost his three- year mark in ministry. Um, but they would lose it and, and there's even uh, maybe even a small reference to that in verse 19. Uh, Matthew thirteen nineteen it says when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what he has what he has sown in his heart you see that the word that knowledge is being taken away from him even what he thinks he has it will be stripped from him and then it goes down and it says therefore I speak to them in parables because they're the ones who fit this category. Uh, Right? He mentions that what? He says, because while seeing, they do not see. He says, they're blind. I speak to them in parables because they're blind. And while hearing, they do not hear. Uh, They do not understand. Because they are blind and they are deaf. This is why I speak to them in parables. They are willfully unbelieving, willfully being hardened uh, in his day. And, uh, and this is why he, he, he fit, they fit the category of those who are without in verse 12. He's not going to give them anything else, you see. He is not going to give them anything else. They are those who do not understand. They are those who have not the mysteries, and they do not get the mysteries uh, as a form of judgment. And it says in verse, verse 14, And in, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled... Um, even in Isaiah's day, Isaiah's goal in in his day was to ensure uh, that others would not understand the message. Um, And Jesus here following in that trend, but look at what, look at where, quoting from the LXX, quoting from the Septuagint, look at where he casts, look at where the, the responsibility is laid. You have in verse uh, it says, verse four. going down to verse 14, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Isn't that incredible? They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn again. Right? And he says, And, and I should heal them. And I sh- yeah. Yeah. For John MacArthur on this, he says because they chose to ignore God and His Word, God judicially locked them up in their unbelief, so that they would fear His judgment. Mm-hmm. And so, this indictment it's ultimately placed upon their own head. Because they were responsible for closing their eyes. They were responsible for hardening their own heart. And we see verses 16, verses 17. But blessed are your eyes. It's a blessing if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's not something you want to abuse. The privileged position of seeing and hearing the kingdom because you were once in a position where it was not granted to you. It was not granted to you to know this information, this knowledge with with deep understanding and uh, the, the and and to, and the, the kind of transformation that it happens, the the blessings of being a believer. Um, those they, they are, you, those who are inside. They truly have uh, a privileged position. And verse seventeen, he goes on and says, "For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it." Right. It even explains how godly men desired to see the things that were being revealed in Jesus to his disciples. The things that were being revealed, which in times past was not revealed to them. With the same clarity, with the same understanding, right? The word of God was still unfolding. Uh, God's kingdom, its fulfillment, which Jesus proclaimed, they were just prophesying of. And so uh, they were not seeing the fulfillments as we are seeing the fulfillments, Oh, what time is it? Wow. I don't even know. It's terrible. Um, we uh, Other things to know about parables are um, uh, they bring truth home. They bring truth home with power and conviction. You remember Nathan? He told a parable to David. Do you remember that? He started speaking about the ewe lamb, about a poor man, how... He, you know, the king wasn't willing to sacrifice his own livestock for someone who was coming in, for a foreigner who was coming in, and so he took the poor man's livestock and he slaughtered it and fed it to the, the sojourner, the one who was coming in. And David said, that man should be killed. And what did Nathan say? You are the man. You are the man. You are the man who has committed injustice and iniquity. Right? You are the man who has taken another man's wife. You are the man who has had her husband killed. He goes on, he lays these indictments, and he repents, and God's judgment falls upon him. And so parables do, they bring truth home like that. They have the ability to bring truth home like that. They're very graphic. Yes. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. And then hey. they can truly see what's right and wrong. Oh, right. And yep. then be brought back to the how my reality believes the of, bias. You give them a scenario, let them judge, yeah. and then flip it on its head, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We only have a little bit of time. I was going to tell you about interpreting the parables, but I only have six <laughs> weeks, and i I, I got to get through this. Um, uh, but what I want to do is, is, is take you through the soils, if I can, real quickly, okay? I want to take you through the soils and maybe shed some light on, uh, on w- what was Jesus showing to um, the multitudes? What was he showing uh, to the multitudes? Uh, go to verse 3. <clears throat> Matthew 13. By the way, where Jesus was—it's uh, so interesting. I was going to include this, but it says even on even on verse one. What does it say? On that day, Jesus went out of the house where Jesus was blasphemed. Was inside of the house. It was inside of the house. If you go up to if you go to the last if you go up to some of the last verses uh, of chapter twelve, um, it says that people were coming and telling him. He says he's, he says, "Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, uh, seeking to speak to you." They're outside the home, and our chapter, uh, and this is where this is all linked. When you go through uh, uh, the um, uh, the the blasphemy of the Pharisees, uh, their their conversations with him, and while he was still speaking, verse forty six of chapter twelve, right? It says his mother's his mother his brothers came on the outside of this house, wanting to get inside to speak to him, while he was talking to the multitudes, and then on and then the, the parables end. When he leaves with the Spirit of God being blasphemed, he goes out to the seashore from the house. That's what's happening here in this context. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Verse 2, And great multitudes gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke to them many things, and uh, many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, right? Behold, which is interesting. It's possible that Jesus could have been pointing to a sower in a field where he was on a boat. He was was on the Sea of Galilee. There were tons of hills, open fields. And he could have used a man who was sowing as an example for this parable. He says, Behold. Behold. He says, The sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and devoured them. Right? Right? Um I gotta be like a turbo teacher right now. <laughs> what do you think of when you think of road? Let's seed was thrown alongside the road. What comes to your mind? Gravelly, hard. You said roadkill. Hard, gravelly, <laughs> hard, gravelly, rugged, mm-hmm. right? Maybe the modern mindset is like, oh concrete, of course. <laughs> yeah. Concrete road, right? Sidewalks, you know, something like that. Um uh, But it was different than that. So there would be, there would be, uh, this would be, they would have, sowers, farmers would have very slender fields, narrow fields, and alongside them would be footpaths. There would be footpaths here. That's a footpath. Right here. And this is where, this is where they would walk. They would walk along their fields, right, and... Um, these are going to be like the rows here of their uh, of their field, and they would walk alongside these roads here, and they would fling seed from their sacks like this, and they would throw it out here. It wouldn't be such a wide field, but it would be narrow strips of land that, and then there would there there would be another one on this side another one on this side, and so they could come and from one and they could they could throw seed and what these little paths that it was sowing on because he would come from here and he would throw he would throw seed and either the wind right either the wind or just the power of this throw across here would inevitably cast seed all the way across and some would land on the road some would land some would land on the road and um this road here in our Bible, Hadan, it's, it's, about, it's about a path. It means a path. Uh, it means uh, a, a way or a road, specifically in a field. So think of a pathway in a field. What Jesus is speaking about here is a footpath, right? So something that, something that you would see, a very hard dirt compacted if you've ever been like uh, hiking or something. You've hiked on probably like a dirt path where there's just no vegetation, right? No. But it's only dirt, and it's just been laid low because so many people have traveled on it. And that's what these would be around the field. It would just be these, these footpaths around the field, and some seed would inevitably fall there. And the ground was so hard, right? It was impossible for seed to penetrate the soil. It was so hard. It was not tilled. This ground right here was never meant to receive uh, was never meant to receive uh, seed by the sower? He was not intentionally, being like you know, I'm gonna throw it on the hard grounds to see what comes of it, right? <clears throat> um, and so it's impossible for seed to fall into uh, or to uh, you know to be uh, to penetrate that soil. And uh, you know, Al Martin, he actually has he actually has this quote. He says, "The state of the soil determines the fate of the seed. The state of the soil." determines the fate of the seed, right? And so, but in this case, seed was either, if it was thrown on this footpath here, it was either what? It was trampled on? That's what our text says. It was either trampled on, or birds came and devoured them. Now, uh, farmers and seeds, they, like birds and seeds, they, they love each other, right? They, uh, birds love seeds, and therefore, uh, farmers hated birds, because they came and tried to pluck up their seed. The footpath was the easiest way for them to come. They're constantly shooing these, shooing these birds away from eating their seed. is that incredible? Shooing these birds away, which, uh, what, what does that correspond to, the birds? Satan. Satan coming and stealing the seed and stealing, right, just like in his, in his, in his demonic, his, his devilish workers coming alongside and stealing the seed. This is what would happen, and, and you, this would happen in, even in farms uh, when the sower, they had a huge bird problem. Um, verse
1: five,
0: verse five says others fell on the rocky places and where, where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Luke eight, six adds that it withered away because it had no moisture, so it even adds that. Uh, it even adds that little part there. Now, what are you thinking when you think about rocky soil? Comes to your mind. What kind of soil was it? Gravel. Untilled. Kind of like gravel. It's
1: not tilled.
0: Untilled. Yeah. Yeah. It was. In
1: your garden. If there's rocks, you can't get into a hole. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: Uh, this the, the issue uh, the issue with the land, it was very rocky land, but it might not be exactly what we what we imagine, right? Um, it wasn't necessarily soil mixed with gravel or like rocks. Um, or just, you know, a bunch of rocks, like, in the ground, right? As long as farmers could help it, right? They, they, were, they, were, uh, they were very keen, they were, they were very watchful, they, they were very careful to make sure that they filter their fields of rocks because it, it's not good for their, 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 uh, their finances. It's not good for their farming, their sowing. And so the farmer, he would never sow seed on a bed of rock. Neither would you. I know that none of you would ever sow seed on rocks. Uh, but these farmers, it was, their, it was their, this was their livelihood. They did not sow seed on rocks ear, uh, either. But the issue at hand here was underground rock beds. Underground rock beds that could be anywhere between a foot or so underneath the soil. Underneath the soil. They, they could be sitting, that field could be sitting on a layer of hard rock, and they would never even know it. <clears throat> they would use like a plowshare. Uh, which is something that you, know, you would attach to, um, uh, attach to like a mule, right? And, and you would stick it in the ground, and they would carry it, and that plowshare is a sharp device, right? And they would, they would pull it, and it would just till up the ground, right? Till up the ground so where you could put seed in the ground. And sometimes those plowshares were only about 8 to 10 inches deep when the, when the, when the rock could be about a foot deep, maybe a foot and a half deep. And so sometimes they wouldn't even recognize the fact that they were, uh, maybe until after the season, that where they had begun to farm, uh, that, uh, that, that it really wasn't a good place for them to plant seed because the ground was not deep enough, right? The ground was not deep enough. Uh, the roots would quickly bottom out. If the plant began to, to spring up, the crop itself would, 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 would uh, quickly spring up, but it would wither away because of the shallow soil, if the, sh- if the soil is shallow, shallow, this makes sense, right? If the soil is shallow and there, there, there has been some moisture in it, and it's a very dry climate, a hot climate, what will happen to all that water if it's sitting on the surface? We don't know. It'll, It'll dry. It'll evaporate, won't it? Mm-hmm. It'll evaporate. It will dry up because uh, the, the, the because the moisture doesn't have the ability to go down deeper. It's being hit by these rocks, and so the moisture is really sitting on the top of the soil, and uh, the roots aren't able to go down deep enough. Uh, they're being dried out, and so uh, they're going to dry out very quickly in a dry climate with a burning sun. Uh, it, ultimately, that crop it would be hindered from. Bringing forth fruit, right? The, the rock is in the way of the crop coming to full bloom. You see that? The rock is in the way. Um, let me try to, I, I think I can get through these other ones. The third soil, right? The third soil. Let's look at that. Verse 7 says, Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came <clears> up and <throat> choked them out. Right? Here the seed would fall among the thorns, or in Greek it's the acantha. Which were rogue weeds that had the ability to grow and hinder the health of any plant in its way. Uh, this is some kind of prickly plant or a shrub covered with thorns. This would be a shrub covered with thorns, and uh, this word is also used. The acantha It's also used for the crown that was that was placed on Christ's head. Uh, that was growing around. Kind of gives you some idea of the uh, of the. Uh, 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 of the the firmness of a plant right that was growing in among uh, the the crop uh, though this is they were the same as the crown put on christ's head when he was being reviled when he was being mocked on the cross right and and, and I would remind you that the peering of thorns and thistles is a result of what what the curse, the curse isn't it the appearance of thorns and thistles is a, res- is a result of the curse. You see that in-, in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, that the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles, right? Uh, really incredible. I thought that was interesting. And I'm not trying to look too deeply into that event or to that fact. But it is interesting that thorns exist because of our sin. Thorns exist because of our sin. And here we have Christ wearing What was the result of our transgressions?
1: Isn't
0: that interesting? Not only is Christ going to redeem us, but he is going to redeem the world. He is going to redeem the world, right? In the new world, uh, all that exists because of the curse of God, right? All the signs of God's curse uh, will be completely removed. Uh, the, The thrones, Jesus will be wearing a different crown. Uh, the, the crowns that were a mark of the curse of this world will be gone in the new world. Um, but in this parable, the thorns are destructive, right? The thorns are destructive. If a farmer pl- uh, plows some seed, uh, if, or sorry, if he, if he plows and sows seed in a field, he's not going to be aware of tiny weed seeds. Farmers would usually carefully plow their fields. They would filter their fields of some things. But some seeds and very low uh, roots and things like that, sometimes they just missed. And so when they began to sow seeds, sometimes they would just sow it among the weeds. They would sow it among other seeds, some things that they just couldn't catch with their naked eye, especially with uh, the, you know, as a matter of the the size of the field. Some things would just escape their notice. Uh, and so left in the soil uh, to grow alongside good seed and crop they had the ability to absorb much of the moisture and nutrients in the ground. You see that? As well as grow up with huge prickly leaves, some of these. Grow up with huge prickly leaves uh, and block the sunlight from the good crops. These these bushes, these thistles, and the prickly plants. You should, you, we don't know exactly. You know, there, um, there is, there's one. I, I know you're like, no, stop. There, there's one plant called... It's called the uh, it's called the the the, the thorn thorn of Christ thorns of Christ something like that called which people think is uh, possibly what was put on Jesus' head and it's this it's this bush that has like one stalk coming up from it and it blooms like a beautiful flower and the stalk is just absolutely laden with thorns about I don't know anywhere from one to two inches probably. And then the leaves are huge, strong, fibrous leaves that are prickly and, uh, you know, they're like, they're like 10 times as the size of those you know, things that we see in the ground that are like really sharp that you don't want to land on if you fall. Um, and so uh, there's all kinds of plants. We don't know exactly which one. Uh, we don't know exactly which one, uh, uh, what the plant was that he used. But this is interesting though. <clears throat> and so there is uh, good soil. Uh, But what would happen is that these these plants would come in, they would absorb the the moisture, the nutrients, and they would grow, blocking the sunlight, and therefore choke the life out of other crops and seeds, right? Uh, And and so what you see in all of these ones, all the, the first three seeds, is that they are hindered by something. They are hindered from something. They all wither. They all die. None of them bring forth a crop. None of them bring forth a crop. None of them are fruitful. Until the fourth soil, and we'll end on this, and others fell on the good soil, verse 8, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so the last soil of the parable is the good soil, the fertile soil. If a seed finds its way into a well-plowed soil that has been stripped of dangerous and threatening weeds and is allowed... for deep-rooted growth because of the absence of underlying rocky layers, right, by God's grace, it will yield a crop.
1: It will yield a crop. And that's all we have time for. Thank you. Amen. Let's go to worship.